gets it to first. The Browns are world champions. The Rams were built to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. The Golden State Warriors return to a familiar place. They're on top of the NBA world. They reach the summit of the Avalanche for 2022 Stanley Cup champions. Episode 156 in time for the weekend. And it's the Thanksgiving weekend in Canada with my boys, Matt and John. I'm Manny. Thanks for tuning in. How you doing, fellas? You wearing the big turkey pants yet, or what's going on? Gobble, gobble, boys. Hey, <laughs> Matt, did you figure out plans for Thanksgiving? So I went into the account. I gave it a little while. You know, people are busy. They're, they they go, you know, they take their time for future considerations at gmail.com. I log into the account, and I got a, a couple, of, uh, couple of emails in there, which I was pretty excited about. So I go reading through them. Uh, one of them, I can get a great rate on my insurance if I just give uh, one company 20 minutes. The other one, I can make something a lot bigger. The other one, I can make something a lot smaller. Uh, and that was it. So, no, I'm. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a mac and cheese Thanksgiving for me. John? That is really sad, Matt. <laughs> that is sad. You know what? I've got good news for you, Matt. Because I talked to Abby and Sophie. And they're more than happy to have you come over on Sunday. I haven't told Shannon yet, but don't worry about it. Just show up anyways, and we'll have a ton of food for you, brother. <laughs> I think she'd be surprised if I wasn't there anyways. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. <laughs> Jumping out of one some closet. <laughs> hey, do you know what that reminds me of? Do you remember the time I was over at your place, Matt, and uh, missed the, was it the train or the bus that I was going to take home and ended up impromptu joining your family for Thanksgiving? That's right. That's right. That was, yeah, it was the bus. And we were, we were just sitting there, weren't we? Yeah, we were sitting and, there talking. And then you you real. Then it was one of those great oh shit moments where you're like, you know what, I feel like I should be somewhere else right now. That's amazing. You're just sitting there and completely gap the fact yep. that you needed to get on a bus to go home. And we weren't even doing anything. We were waiting for the bus. We were just killing time until it was time to take me to the bus. And then we get talking and we're like, oh, shit, we probably should have left about 25 minutes ago. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is amazing. That's, that's, why, that's when he was adopted as John Dumachel. That's great. We did get some emails coming in, too. They wanted to know if it's turkey or ham. Uh, this one person, this name is Sam. He's not a big turkey guy, so he has ham on uh -huh. Thanksgiving. With his green eggs or what? <laughs> 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 I, I can't make this shit up, even oh, if I tried. Sam likes ham for Thanksgiving. Now let me let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. He will not wear or he will not eat them in a boat. He, he will not eat them wearing a coat. <laughs> he will not eat them in a car. He will not eat them at the bar. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up. Sam, Sam, even if you like ham, don't say it out loud. 
you got to have turkey, right, for Thanksgiving? For sure. Yes. For yes. sure. And fun fact for any uh, single guys out there, if you want to cook a turkey, you can cook any turkey from frozen. You just have to cook it about a half to, uh, yeah, about half as long again extra, and you can cook any turkey from frozen. So if you bought one, forgot to take it out, or if you just want to run down to the store and go and buy one, throw it in, and it'll work out. Trust me. It'll work out. Trust John, the guy who forgot to catch a bus on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Trust him. Trust him, everyone. Have I ever steered you guys wrong? (laughs) I forgot to thaw a turkey one year, and we looked it up. You flip it over, flip it upside down. The the, uh, ice melts through the breast meat, makes it all nice and tender, and comes out beautifully done. I, now, I do believe you forgetting to thaw the turkey since you've <laughs> forgotten to catch a bus. The, the turkey was on the bus. It, it took his seat. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Well, we're having turkey and ham and everything else this weekend. Um, but I was getting into this debate with the family over pie. Is it always have to be pumpkin pie for dessert on Thanksgiving? I hate pumpkin pie. So my answer is no. (laughs) I would rather lick the floor than eat pumpkin pie. So I'd rather eat the giblets than than the pumpkin pie. I think that's what we're saving for you for Sunday, Matt. So don't worry. The the giblets? Yeah. Good. I'll take it. Little chicken balls. So if you're not having pumpkin pie, what are you having? I'm going apple. See, I'm, I'm a, this is my time of year, my time to shine. I, I'm a big cobbler or crisp guy. Oh, uh, like an so apple I want, crisp? I want an apple crisp. I want a peach cobbler. I want something with some blueberries in it, maybe some strawberry rhubarb. Oh, that's good. That's where I'm, that's where I'm living. See, you guys I, now have your pumpkin pie. I hate rhubarb. I'm not a rhubarb guy at all. Well, you should hear what rhubarb says about you. If you put the right <laughs> amount of sugar in it and you put some strawberries no. in there, you're good. No, that that just ruins the strawberries. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? <laughs> well, rhubarb thinks you're a piece of shit too. So <laughs> I, I'm all about the peach though, but I got to yeah. tell you, not a lot of spots have peach pie anymore. No. In fact... When I went to go see Rashad a couple of weeks ago, they had to go in the back and get me a f- fresh peach pie. Had to wait an extra 10 minutes, but it was worth it. Woo! Nelly, that was good. By the way, as we head into this second episode, we like to call the OT. We also want to say congratulations to one of our good listeners, our good friends, Kiefer who decided to go on one knee last weekend. Mm-hmm. What? Pop the question and get engaged. Uh-huh. So congratulations. Congratulations. It's wow. very exciting, and we're not at all bitter that he didn't ask us for permission beforehand or seek any sort of advice. Uh, I believe he did it. Did he do it in an apple orchard? He did. As I saw the picture afterwards, it was uh, – Oh, it was the prettiest ring pop I've ever seen. <laughs> it was pretty good ring pop, right? Yeah. Not, it was not like strawberry rhubarb, I think it was. 
<laughs> not like the guy who uh, popped a question at a Blue Jays game with a ring pop and got slapped in the face and had a beer thrown in his face. I think Kiefer made it better, although his fiance is an angel for putting up with him. But congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. That it's is very time. exciting. One more wedding for us that I'm afraid to go because it's going to be seltzers only. <laughs> We're going to have to drink in the pa- in the in the parking lot. Okay, I have a question for you. Just to get off topic here, proposals at sports games, yay or nay? Would you do it? No. No, no. that's the dumbest thing no. ever. I agree. It's the worst thing ever. Like Sports games, sports matches, sports events are not made for proposals. No. And I think it's even uh, like the the trend now of the rejection proposal to get on TikTok is even dumber. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. You're not actors. You're not real actors. We know this is fake. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I've seen acting, and you're no time actor. <laughs> uh, and by the way, Kiefer, if you're only serving seltzers at the bar, we're not going. So I'm telling you right now. Uh, as mentioned, this is our second show of the week, the episode we like to call the OTA. That's right. We're going to be joined by a special guest in mere moments that you're not going to want to miss. That's right. Hopefully you've already listened to our first episode of the week, our debate episode, where we talked about the baseball playoffs and uh, a record-setting home run, and then also handed out some baseball awards for the year-end. We also talked about the ugly Tua situation in the NFL, and we even talked about Coolio, and I listened to those songs that you recommended. I did a little bit of a search on the the Coolio discography, uh, and I'm good with just knowing Gangster's Paradise. So. So go back and have a listen to whatever Matt said. Uh, What outrageous things he said last time. Uh, We also want to tell you about our fantasy hockey pool. We have a fantasy football league, and that went over so well that we now have a fantasy hockey league. Follow us on social media to find out how you can join that league. That's going to be a lot of fun. Another NHL season around the corner. Hopefully you didn't buy the NHL package and you're not hooked for looking at broadcasts. But uh, we'll be talking about the NHL. It's underway only in moments. And our guest is one of the experts of the league and especially of the kids that are coming into it. Joining us now on a special episode of the OT. This guy is a must-read and must-follow for hockey fans, especially if you want to know about the up-and-coming prospects for the National Hockey League, as he is the national reporter for The Athletic. He has also written for the Toronto Star, The Globe and Mail, The Toronto Sun, The National Post, SB Nation, several other outlets as well. He's also written a book. It's called On the Clock, behind the scenes with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL Draft, and it's in bookstores now. And if that isn't enough for you, this guy also has one of the most important jobs in the world, being a new father and husband. Please welcome to For Future Considerations, Scott Wheeler. Scott, thanks for making the time. I appreciate you having me on here, Manny. Nice to, to finally meet you virtually here. 
Yes, I've been reading um, your work for quite some time. After all, uh, following the OHL, you are a must-follow. And then, of course, looking at the prospects into the NHL. So much to talk about, but let's start with the book. What inspired you to write the book? <laughs> I would say, I, I wish I could say that it was sort of my own creation, but it was actually the publisher had reached out with the idea. Uh, about two and a half years ago, the Triumph Books, who is a, a publisher based out of Chicago, they do predominantly sports books. Uh, they reached out with this idea saying, we kind of want to do the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL draft. Would you be up for writing it? And uh, my initial response was, I the way that they described it to me at least I wasn't particularly interested I, I didn't want to do the encyclopedia thing I didn't want to do the here's every pick here's every draft year here's the sort of history bada boom bada boom bada boom kind of thing um, so instead I kind of went back to them and said hey could we do it as kind of a behind the scenes thing where instead of doing every draft I maybe do it in chapters and tell 15 to 20 stories through 15 to 20 chapters about decisions that were made players that were picked moments in time uh and and do it do it kind of my way as a storyteller and they they were all all over that so uh that's what it became it became 50 plus interviews with former general managers former agents former coaches former players the uh the families of those players etc cetera, etc cetera, to kind of build out these stories so you'll read the big ones you'll read about tyler biggs You'll read about Luke Shen. You'll read about Morgan Riley. You'll read about Austin Matthews and Wendell Clark, the only two players they've drafted first overall. But you'll also hear stories uh, that you've maybe never heard before and hear from people that you haven't he heard from in a long time. I, I spoke with John Ferguson Jr., just as, as one example, the former Leafs general manager who's now with the Arizona Coyotes. So uh, really trying to piece together some of the big decisions that were made some of the players that they passed on, some of the reasons they passed on those players, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's a great concept, right? You're pulling the curtain behind for the fan, who mm -hmm. in some cases are still trying to figure out why did they pick this guy or how difficult was it to pick Wendell Clark and Austin Matthews first overall? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the goal. The goal was to really sort of peel back the curtain. And it required these people to, to let me inside that world, right? It's one thing to say that's what I want to do. It's another thing to actually uh, have them open it up like they did. So I'm, I'm indebted to everybody I spoke to, quite frankly. And uh, there wasn't a bad interview that I did for the book. Everybody was, was sort of on board. I, I pitched it. At, I only got a couple of no's from people, but I pitched it to everyone as kind of, if you're going to talk to me, I, I, I want the nitty gritty. Uh, this can't just be a, a sort of blase surface level interview, right? So uh, I, they knew that I wanted to sort of go into into great detail with them, and, and they were all uh, on board with that, so got lucky. What was the biggest thing that surprised you? Ooh, um, probably how hard, I, m I mentioned Tyler Biggs off the top, probably how hard that story was to tell. Uh, he was one of only two no's uh, it, that I got for the book. I reached out to Tyler and his dad, uh, I actually included a text message from them in the book. They they answered me back and basically said, we appreciate that you want to tell this story the way that you seem to want to tell it. We appreciate that you want to tell it in a very human way. Uh, but Tyler, everybody has made up his mind on him and he's he's not going to, to participate. He feels like no matter what he has to say, uh, he, he's 
he's kind of viewed as this bust. Uh, and that was, a, I think, a very respectful way for them to answer. But that one became really difficult to tell because I still wanted to tell it in the human kind of way that I promised to them, but I had to do it without them. So that chapter is just telling Tyler Biggs' story through 10 other people. Uh, it's through members of that Leafs front office, Brian Burke, obviously, uh, Dave Poulin, those kinds of people. But it's also through the people who were there for him along the way at the University of Miami, at uh, the NTDP, with the Oshawa Generals. Uh, those people also played a role in how things kind of went south like they did. Uh, and they also know him on a personal level and they can speak to some of the challenges of the first round pick in Toronto in particular, right? So uh, all of that is was I had to sort of unwind with, with Tyler Biggs. And I knew that it was a chapter that if I wrote the book, it was going to be the first thing, and, and it wasn't included. It was going to be the first thing that people left in their reviews was how can you write a book about history of the Leafs at the NHL draft and not tell the story of Tyler Biggs. So I knew even if he said no, I was still going to have to find a way to tell that story. Hey, if, you, if you, there's a Leaf fans in your household, you got to get this book, Behind the Scenes with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL draft, written by our guest, Scott Wheeler. I just love that sort of thing. I love the fact of going behind the curtain and thinking about the draft process speaking of which um let's talk about this past nhl draft when the montreal Canadiens surprised a few people and didn't pick shane wright they picked uri slavkovsky were you as surprised as some others were uh oddly enough not at that point i think if you'd asked me that question a month before the draft from everything i was hearing uh i still got the sense that it was going to be shane and my belief is that something really did change. It was never it locked in on Shane, but there was definitely, I think, that's the way that they were leaning. And then they went through the combine process. They went through that sort of uh, very difficult debate that happens uh, in their war room when you have, whenever you're picking first overall. And ultimately, they just something something pivoted and they landed on Slavkovsky. And oddly enough, we, I was in Montreal for the draft, of course, and. Uh, all of my colleagues that week at the Athletic kept asking me, "Who do you think they're going to pick? Who do you think they're going to pick?" And I, I was telling them that at that point, I felt like it was going to be going to be Slavkovsky, not right. So, um, wasn't terribly shocked. I had heard rumblings from within that organization that there were some people, not that the decision was going to be Slavkovsky. I didn't know that it was going to be him for sure, but I had heard rumblings that there were people who who pounded their fist pretty hard for him uh, within the organization, and that he was. Uh, they they were really close on him. So, um, yeah, interesting because even at the Combine and after the Combine, he wasn't one of the players who got an in-person interview with Montreal. They brought in, for that sort of wine and dine experience, they brought in Logan Cooley and Shane Wright, not Slavkovsky. So, uh, yeah, just a, just a fascinating way that they went about it. And ever since then, he's looked great. I thought I was watching a game last night between the Leafs and the, and the Habs in preseason, I thought after a slow first couple of shifts, he was arguably their best player in the second half of that game. And I saw him in Buffalo. I went down to Buffalo, uh, to, I guess it was two weeks ago now, for the Prospects Challenge, uh, and he was great there as well. So uh, I, I, I still probably would have taken Shane Wright with that selection. Shane would have been my guy there, but uh, Slavkovsky has looked good. Yeah, and, and the Habs eventually got their center in, in making that deal for Kirby Dock. Is mm -hmm. is the Chicago Blackhawks tank job the biggest you've ever seen 
since covering the National Hockey League? Uh, it's up there. Certainly, Buffalo went all in to get to get Connor McDavid. Obviously, they ended up with Jack Eichel instead. But I, I I remember vividly the tank of that year and just how brutal that Buffalo Sabers roster was. So the Sabers had a pretty serious tank uh, for McDavid. Uh, the same is true, frankly, for Arizona. The last couple of years, Arizona, like Chicago, is all in on on going after Connor Bedard. That Arizona roster that they're about to run out to start the regular season here is as bare bones uh, an NHL roster as we've seen in a long time. Uh, and more bare bones than sh- I would say Chicago's is, even though uh, Chicago's in a full-on tank as well. So, uh, I mean, Chicago may get there if they trade Kane and Taves, but uh, for now, I'd, I'd give the give the trophy to Arizona. So, uh, there have been a few, but no, I mean, there's no question, Chicago is tearing it down, and even a player like Alex DeBrincat, the fact that they weren't prepared to commit $9 million a year to him out of his arbitration and, and sign him to a long-term deal, I think just speaks to how far away they feel they are, because it's it's not like Alex DeBrincat is a veteran in the league either. So, um, yeah, it's uh, they're going they're going full scorched earth, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see if Connor Bedard lands there. You've already written an article, in fact, on the Athletic about uh, uh, the next draft. It's your preseason rankings. Yeah, um, not a surprise that Connor Bedard is number one. But I wonder how big is the gap for you, Scott, between Mitchkoff and Fantilli and Bedard. Well, I think, again, a year ago, if you'd asked me Bedard versus Michkov, I would have said it was 50-50. I might have even told you told you Michkov. I think now, just because of what we know about what's happening and the uncertainty with Russia and Ukraine, uh, because of what we know about his three-year contract extending beyond the draft and the fact that the drafting team won't likely be able to bring him over until 2026, uh, because of what we know about the fact that he got injured in preseason this year over in Russia, there are there are just things that have started to pop up with Michkov. Now, in saying that, Michkov, even if he's not Connor Bedard, Michkov is an exceptional talent. He is the best Russian prospect I've ever scouted. This is my tenth draft doing this. He's better than Evgeny Svechnikov was at the same age. You go down the list. Uh, really, since since Ovechkin, this is this is the best player they've produced. So. I think he's got a chance to be not just a star, but potentially even a superstar in the league. Uh, I do think Fantilli is a tricky one. I have almost never seen a player who can, who's his size. Fantilli is a big, strong six foot three, who can really, really fly like he can. I mean, Adam Fantilli might be the very best skater in this draft class, and you almost, I've, I'm almost never saying that about kids who are as big and strong as he is. So. He's a horse. He when he gets going, he is a lot to handle. He puts defenders on their heels. He's big. He's a center. Um, there's there's a lot to like about Adam Fantilli. I, I still think for me, he's a cut below Bedard and Michkov, but that's a that's a clear three, no question. And and that's a clear three, even in a draft where the kids that are getting taken four through ten are are pretty special players as well. This is outside of 2015, the year of. Marner and McDavid and Eichel and Rantanen and Kyle Connor and Matt Barzell and all those guys. This is probably the best draft I've ever scouted. So uh, I'm I'm really excited to watch these these 2005 born kids uh, these they, them play this year. You just answered my next question because I was going to ask you if you get in the top ten, you're probably getting a really good player. Like if even if yeah. I look at the OHL guys, 
between Richie and Alan and Barlow, mm-hmm. um, there's some really attractive pieces there. Yeah, it's a better year, frankly, than it was a year ago for the CHL. Last year was not a great draft for the CHL, and this year in particular, I mean, you, you talk about Connor Bedard, but even beyond Bedard, when they host the CHL Top Prospects game in Vancouver in January, it's going to be Bedard, Jaeger, Barlow, who you mentioned, Richie, who you mentioned, Allen, who you mentioned, Zach Benson, Riley Height. You go down the list, it is an incredible group. Ethan Gauthier in the QMJHL is off to a two-point-per-game start over there and just kind of quietly goes about his business. So it's a it's a damn good group. Uh, even Andrew Cristal is a kid who I think has top 15 potential out in the WHL. Um, so it's a it's a star-studded group, and that's without going into Leo Carlson and Dalibor Dvorsky and all of the guys over in Europe as well, or the kids at the NTDP. Will Smith is off to a tremendous start at the NTDP. So it's a it's a very very good draft. Scott Wheeler is our guest, uh, national writer for the Athletic. I love the fact that um, you've talked about the upcoming draft because you've written um, you've written different previews about the OHL, the Q, um, mm-hmm. the Dub, and even the USHL. Uh, how was that exercise for you? Like, are you and and that doesn't even count the European and Russian players and that sort of thing. Um, are you watching video constantly? <laughs> Of prospects and teams? Yeah, so I've, I've got a dedicated travel budget at The Athletic, obviously. I do U18 Worlds. I do the World Junior Selection Camps. I do the World Juniors, the BioSteel All-American Game, the Frozen Four, the Memorial Cup, um, the World Junior A Challenge, all of that. Uh, so the major ca- sort of prospect events on the calendar, uh, I'm in the building for those. Uh, I then also... Uh, try to at, at least a couple of times a month get out to an OHL rink, uh, whether that's Barrie or Peterborough. Uh, I'm based out of out of a, uh, or sort of the Aurora Newmarket area here, just north of the city. Now we just moved in February from the east end of Toronto, a little bit north, so probably more Barrie and Peterborough this year, and uh, less Oshawa and and Mississauga like in years past. Uh, and then I I typically on a, in a five day work week also dedicate one day to to sitting down and watching tape. So. Um, the beauty of that these days is that there are two major scouting services that we have subscriptions to at The Athletic. Uh, one is called Instat, one is called Sport Contract. Uh, and the beauty of both of them is that instead of having to sit down and watch a two and a half hour game, I can sit down and just watch a, a single player's ships. And that allows me to spend 20 minutes to watch a player's game rather than two and a half hours, right? So uh, it does allow you to burn through, uh, burn through tape uh, so yeah, one day a week, I spend seven or eight hours just sitting at my laptop, taking notes, watching these kids play. Uh, and then I try to also obviously be in the rinks as much as I can, speaking to people on the phone every day, that kind of a thing, just to, to build out a, a real sense for, for where these kids are at. Yeah, and, and you've written articles, Scott, on individual players too. I'm not going to spill the beans, but if you want to find out who Scott is picking to win the OHL title this year... Go check out his article. You may be surprised by that as well. Scott Wheeler is our guest from The Athletic. So the other article that I was really intrigued, and a number of athletic writers do this, uh, it's called NHL Prospects I Was Wrong About. Um, How difficult or easy 
is that to put together, to look yourself in the mirror and go, ooh, I got that one wrong. I think it's really important. Uh, at a place like The Athletic, where we're asking people to pay money, whether it's 3 $4 a month or whatever your subscription rate is, uh, I think it's important to be transparent. If you're going to pay to read our work, you need to be able to trust it. Uh, there, there's a there's a greater relationship with the reader, a greater trust that the reader is placing in you at a subscription platform. So uh, stuff like my reviews of my rankings, which I also do once a year, I review the ranking of three years prior uh, to sort of navigate through where I was at in an individual ranking. And then obviously the prospects I was wrong about piece, I joke about it with readers, but it's it's a fan favorite because everybody wants to quit and see who Scott, who Scott got wrong. So no, it's important. It's important not just to be transparent for the readers, but it's important for me to, to reevaluate myself, to go over some of the biases that I may or may not have had, uh, to understand the gaps in my coverage, players that, player types that I maybe overvalued or leagues that I didn't spend enough time watching or um, I mean, you name it. It, it, it's, it's, it's good for me too. It makes me a better evaluator. I think by going back and learning from my mistakes and sort of understanding, okay, a player like Moritz Sider, what did I get wrong? Why was I lower on him? Why did I not believe he was the sixth overall pick? Um, and, and, and for, for just for one example, on Moritz Sider, which is kind of one of my all-time big ones. I had Moritz kind of in the 20s on my 20s and 30s on my board late in that year. Um, I, I think it was with him and with Jake Sanderson, another one, uh, it was just me being too slow to catch up on those kids. I, I, I'd made my opinion, I'd formed an opinion on those kids early in the year. And while they got better and better and better as the year progressed and I moved them up my rankings accordingly, I didn't move them up enough. I didn't play catch up enough with those kids based off of where they were at the beginning of the year. So uh, in years since, I have tried to give more emphasis to the kids who've really had strong second halves, who've who've really exploded and grabbed the limelight. Players like Seth Jarvis, who was brilliant in his second half of his draft year. Last year, Jaeger Furkus was excellent in the second half of his draft year in the WHL. I've tried to learn from the mistakes that I made in being too slow uh, on players like like Jake Sanderson and Moritz Sider with those kids, for example. So uh, it's a fun exercise for me, and it's good to to knock myself down a few pegs too. I think. <laughs> well, a lot of people were wrong on Moritz Sider too, Scott. Don't beat yourself. Dale DeGray, the Owen Sound Attack, told me about Moritz Sider, and I didn't believe him. But heck, I'm yeah. looking forward to watching him with the Red Wings. Uh, do you um, have a list of teams that have the best prospect pool right now? And who would that be? Yeah, so I, I do my drafted prospect pool rankings every January and February, counting down from 32 to 1. Um, in in, the, in recent years, number 1 and 2 have, have typically been last year, but the Buffalo Sabres, and the two years before that, the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, I still think those two teams, if I were to do my project, I haven't begun work on my project for January quite yet, but will I typically start pounding away on, on it in November. Uh, I expect you'll see the Minnesota Wild quite high. Uh, I expect you'll see the Buffalo Sabres quite high. I expect you'll see the Los Angeles Kings quite high. I think the Carolina Hurricanes have drafted quite well, despite not having drafted particularly high in the draft in recent years. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings uh, continue to draft well, although if they graduate Simon Edmondson, which is possible here, uh, then he that might sort of knock them and their pool down a little bit of a rung. 
but th those are probably the teams that that come to mind. You're starting to see turnover in some of those. Uh, Arizona uh, is is quite likely going to graduate a player like Dylan Gunther this year. Um, same is true in Buffalo with Owen Power and Jack Quinn moving on to the NHL. Uh, potentially even JJ Paterka moving on to the NHL. So it does change a lot year over year. But in years past, in recent memory, uh, I think the LA Kings, the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, the Buffalo Sabres, those are the probably, and the Minnesota Wild, those are probably the four teams that I've been most impressed by. We get uh, this question a lot from, from listeners to the podcast when we talk about prospects. Uh, they want to know how people rank. Like, what do they put more emphasis on, especially in yep. today's game? Is it skating? Is it skill? Is it um, their character, for example? The Montreal Canadiens seem to be big on character of late in the draft. How, how do you grade a prospect that way accordingly? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think there are two ways to go about it. There's There are people who focus almost exclusively on ceiling. There are teams that, like the Carolina Hurricanes, for example, that draft for ceiling. They're willing to take risks. They're willing to flop on a prospect if he doesn't turn out. They like the quirky, weirder prospects that have something that might make them great if they work out. And they're okay uh, biting the bullet and, and sort of eating the cost if it doesn't work out. So I think there's that end of the spectrum. And then there are teams like, say, the Ottawa Senators that have drafted almost exclusively for the hardworking character, two-way physical uh advanced maturity sort of physically that way um, those are the things that they care about and that tends to produce a lot of players who play in the NHL but it doesn't tend to produce players who are of star, of true star quality obviously a Jake Sanderson or a Tim Stutzla is different because of how high they were picked but by and large it produces players who tend to fit in towards the bottom of the lineup or tend to lack that truly dynamic quality. And there are merits to both of those. I tend to be closer to, to my evaluations tend to tilt closer to the, the Carolina Hurricanes model. I think they are a team, for example, that really gets it. I think they understand where the value is in the draft, how to tap into some of the market inefficiencies, whether that's drafting a 5'8 defenseman like Dom Sori or taking a swing on a player like Noel Gundler, or taking a swing on a player like Dominic Bach, even though Dominic Bach didn't work out for them. Um, those are the kinds of, of uh, approaches that I would, I think I would take if I were sitting at a table uh, for one of those clubs. Uh, so my emphasis is on problem solving. It's on skill. Uh, it, it's on that, pro that ability to process the game. I think for a long time, everybody believed that the game was all about speed. After the lockout and the clutch and grab era moved on, everybody thought it was going to become a track meet. And I, I would tend to refute that. I think uh, skating is often overemphasized. We've seen that in many mistakes at the draft with the Zaxonicians, with the Foodie brothers, with the McLeod brothers, players who could fly with the best players in the world but just didn't have the other tools, the processing, the problem solving to really figure it out and make the most of it. So I actually would argue that the game really slows down inside the offensive zone. Uh, it can be a track meet at times to get there, but once you hit that blue line and once it starts to get crowded, you need to be able to read through pressure. You need to be able to make plays through layers. So those are the things that I'm really, really focused on is just a player's ability to problem solve, to use space, to play into space, 
and to just be creative and clever out there and find ways to to manufacture offense that that's by and large i think the most important thing in today's game that's a great great point and, and you use that in your rankings too as well or do you yeah no no question about it my rankings they tend to swing towards upside the safer players who project safely as sort of third line checkers or third pairing defensemen while i still have an appreciation for those players you'll tend to see them lower on my list you'll tend to see me take swings on players that i believe have even a small chance at star upside those players tend to 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 look sort of uh glossier on my rankings in terms of where they slot uh and that comes with with mistakes sometimes it comes with being too high on a kid who maybe doesn't have it all put together or maybe doesn't manage to put it all together uh in the same way that that a Braden Schneider, for example, a kid who I was lower on but has figured it out and become a, a nice piece of the puzzle with the New York Rangers. Those types where I, I would argue that Braden Schneider has a pretty high floor, low ceiling, those are the kids that I'm not super, I don't tend to be super, super high on. I don't believe that you should be using a first round pick, for example, on a Braden Schneider, even if Braden Schneider works out, because I think more often than not, if you take a risk on someone with a higher upside, even if you're hitting on that player less often, those hits will be more meaningful in terms of the player that you bring into the NHL eventually uh, than, than hitting maybe a little bit more consistently on, on the Braden Schneiders of the first round, for example. Scott Wheeler is our guest. Last couple of questions for the writer from The Athletic. What are your biggest questions that you want answered for the upcoming NHL season? Ooh, uh, I think there are a few on the hockey side. I think there are a few questions that are top of mind for me. Uh, I'd like to see the Minnesota Wild take a step, and I'm fascinated by what Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy could become there. I think if both of them become the stars that I think they're capable of becoming, the Minnesota Wild are going to be a really difficult team to beat over the next few years, especially with Jeper Wallstedt, the goalie, coming. Uh, you go down the list, they've, they've got a good thing going in Minnesota, so I'm fascinated by them. I would love to see them join that upper echelon with the Floridas, the Torontos, the the Tampa Bay Lightnings, the Colorado Avalanche. I think I think Minnesota's capable of getting into that tier. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I'm As a, someone who's based out of Toronto, I'm fascinated by the goaltending situation in Toronto uh, and whether they can figure it out. Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov have looked surprisingly good in preseason. Uh, obviously just preseason, they've still got a long way to go, but I think if Matt Murray can stay healthy uh, and figure it out behind a much better defense than he's used to playing behind, then the Leafs will be a threat uh, to go to, to get out of the first round, if you will. Um, so I'm, I, that's, I think, one of the bigger storylines in the league. Uh, and then I'm, I think you cannot ignore, as far as the storyline in the league, I think you cannot ignore the investigation that is ongoing into the players who were members of, of the 2012 and 2003 Team Canada World Juniors teams. Uh, that news is going to come out. I expect that the NHL will make the results of its investigation public. Uh, those, the names of some of those players are going to come out at some point here. Uh, and that is, I think, a, a, a huge, huge stain on the game uh, and continues to be a major problem top to bottom in the sport. Before I hopped on here, there was another parliamentary hearing ongoing today, and I was yet again disappointed by the sort of obliviousness i think of some of those in charge as to whether there's a problem uh, they don't seem to think at least not in their statements they don't seem to think there is a problem that needs addressing here so 
Uh, that is is such a big thing for the sport right now, and they have to find out a path forward that sets a better example from the top down in the sport and makes the sport a, a more inclusive, welcoming place. So uh, I, I, I'm excited for the hockey season, as I always am, but that's definitely front of mind for me right now. You mentioned the Leafs. You mentioned the Hockey Canada thing. Uh, those were my two big questions that I want answered for the upcoming season. Seems like there's a uh, there's a bit of a disconnect between the Hockey Canada hierarchy and then the grassroots level of of minor yeah. hockey and the impact there. And I'm shocked that the organization hasn't figured it out. Back on the ice, though, being down in Windsor, a lot of Red Wings fans, a lot of uh, big money thrown around by Stevie Y as part of the uh, Iser plan. Uh, mm -hmm. A little premature there with the signing, or what do you think about that organization? I, uh, it's easier said than done because of the, some of the financial troubles that they've faced during the pandemic, and I'm sure ownership would like them to accelerate the rebuild in order to put bums in seats. It's been weird over the last few years to see uh, Little Caesars Arena just kind of empty to see all those vacant seats. It just didn't feel like the Red Wings. So I'm sure there's pressures that way. And I think that often doesn't get talked about enough is, sure, you can commit to a rebuild, and they did, and they spent years being bad. And but there's also there has to be cash flow eventually as well. So I think that's a, a part of it that just probably deserves more attention there in terms of why they made the decisions this summer that they did in order to try to get back into playoff contention. I'm not sure whether it was enough. I'm not sure whether the timing was great. I, I think this is a great year to be bad. So them opting to to, to round the corner uh, in the, ahead of the 2023 draft, I think. Uh, was maybe not the greatest decision. I think one more year of them sort of figuring it out with those young kids, trial by fire with, with Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider and potentially Simon Edmondson, I think that could have been good for them, even if the results weren't there. And now I think I worry that it, the one draft where they could really stand to completely change the, the future of the organization, um, they're going to be a little bit too good to be in the lottery uh, and uh, lacking in a little something to make the playoffs as well. And uh, the, that's the worst place to be. The worst place to be is finishing ninth or 10th in a conference and missing out on the high picks and missing out on the playoffs. But you got to do that eventually. And they obviously made the decision that this was the year to, to try and do that. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I think everybody expects them to be much, much better. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to be a better, more competitive team this year. Uh, but I don't think they're quite there yet. And uh, I think the result will be that they're probably going to end up drafting 12th or 13th instead of top five. Right. Out of the top 10, when we talked about the top 10, it's so good. I'm of the same opinion. Uh, Scott, thanks very much for the time. Congratulations again on the book, uh, on the clock, behind the scenes with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL draft. And I appreciate the insight into the prospects and into the NHL season. Are you writing another book after this too? Can you give us an idea? I'm going to take some time away. I'm going to let this one breathe, I think. Uh, it was a, a very long two years. I think if I were to do it again, my preference would be to do it uh, on some kind of a sabbatical from work where the book could just be my only focus and I wasn't trying to do both at the same time. Um, but uh, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm sure I will write uh, a book again in the future, but nothing in the immediate plans. 
Well, in the meantime, we can enjoy your writing for The Athletic. Scott, I appreciate the time today. Thanks, Danny. Our thanks again to Scott Wheeler of The Athletic for joining us to talk about some hockey and scouting hockey prospects. I like this take on the Red Wings guys being a little too early with the spending spree, considering this is such a fantastic draft. Matt, you're a Red Wings guy. Do you think the Red Wings make the playoffs? I don't think they make the playoffs, and I don't think they have to make the playoffs. I, I think this is... This year is, uh, again, going to be a feel-out year. I think they should be very close. Um, I would expect that at the end of the regular season, we're at least talking the possibility of them getting hot and maybe getting in. They should be in the picture, but I do not expect them to make the playoffs, nor do I think they have to. Yeah, but don't you think, wouldn't this be another good year to just let the kids grow up and finish in the top 10 of the lottery pick? You know what these the, the 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 Red Wings have a ton of talent in their system. They always use more talent. Every team could use more talent. But uh, with the people that you have around you in that organization, they are not a, a let's wait and see how we're doing. Steve Eiserman has done this already, guys. He's built Tampa Bay. He's the general manager of the team. He's not going to go out and start spending now just to rush something, nor do I think they signed any massive players to any any ridiculous de- deals that are going to hurt them anytime soon. This is a very deep draft coming up. Do they need the first overall pick? Everybody would love the first overall pick, but the way these Red, the Red Wings have been through their entire history, they're going to find somebody in the sixth or seventh round you've never heard of that's going to be a superstar. The only reason that they're on the map is because they've been so bad and they've had the top picks. But when you go back in their draft history, they always find guys. So no, I don't think that this is a – I think they're well past this let's lose uh, to try to get a, a higher draft pick. They're, they're moving up because I think there's going to be room for them in this division very soon. I just think they could have waited one more year. Like, I think the Canucks are going to get a good player in the top 10 because they're going to be awful this year. And John already knows his team's going to be awful. Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) The pessimistic Rashad comes through again. Uh, And if you're looking for a gift idea for a Leafs fan, check out Scott's book, on the clock behind the scenes with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL draft. It's always cool to peek behind the curtain and see what people are thinking about when they actually make these draft picks. I think it's a very cool story. Yeah, it's a great book. And Scott's done an awesome job of, of telling the stories of the people that you don't hear about. It's, it's not just about the GM and it's not just about the ownership group. He does a, a couple of great chapters about some of the scouts. He, he talks to some of the players that, you know, were just <laughs> happened to be picked by the Toronto Maple Leafs that didn't work out uh, and what that was like and, and kind of going back and reliving some of that with them. He talks to a ton of people uh, and, and gets some really good insight on the, the book. So definitely um, pick that one up if you're, if you're shopping for, for somebody over the next uh, couple of months. I don't know if there's a holiday coming up we want to get ready for or what, but maybe Halloween, maybe a buy it for somebody for Halloween. Listen, if you're, while you're on the Amazon or wherever you're going to find those things, uh, click on social media. You know it's been about 45 minutes since you checked it, so you might as well see if the world's changed at all. Go to Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram, and for future considerations on Facebook as well.
If you have any questions for an upcoming debate or maybe some guest suggestions too, send us an email at fourfutureconsiderations at gmail.com. We want to thank our sponsors on this episode, London Awnings, Quality That Shows, and Shane Topolovic of Next Level Athletics in Windsor, specializing in sport training and nutrition. Thank you all very much for listening. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our Canadian listeners and have a great weekend, everybody else. We'll talk to you next week on For Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.